welcome back to The Pew, everybody. I am your host, John Edwards, and I'm excited to be bringing you another bonus episode of Just a Guy in the Pew. If you've been following us and keeping up what we're doing, you know when we have uh, these bonus episodes that we always have on one of our favorite friends or Catholic speakers and presenters, and today is no different. Our guest today is going to be Keith Nestor of Down to Earth Ministries, and he's a great guy that I ran across uh, through a couple of virtual Catholic conferences and in his YouTube channel, and I'm excited to have him with us here today, but first I want to tell you a little bit about him. Keith Nestor is a former pastor and a youth pastor with more than 20 years in full-time ministry. Keith served in United Methodist, Assemblies of God, and Evangelical Free Churches in various roles. In 2017, after a 20-year-long discernment process, Keith resigned his full-time ministry position and joined the Catholic Church. In October of 2018, Keith felt the call of God to write a book about what life is like for converts in their first year. The Convert's Guide to Roman Catholicism, Your First Year in the Church, is a down-to-earth, realistic look at the transitions, obstacles, joys, and challenges converts face in their first year in the church. As I said, Keith is the Executive Director of Down-to-Earth Ministries, and he continues to use his preaching gifts to speak to audiences about faith, theology, and his own journey to Catholicism. He also creates content on his YouTube channel and his podcast, Catholic Feedback. In his spare time, he loves to ride as hardly and spend time with his family and friends. So he sounds like an amazing guy. He is because I know him, and I am glad to bring him up right now. So, Keith, thank you for joining us. John, thanks for having me. It's an honor for me to be here with you and your friends. Yeah, man, I tell you what, guys have been excited about having you on here. There's been a couple of guys that have asked for a while when they know that we're going to be doing some more of these shows. Hey, man, what about this guy or that guy? And your name comes up often and and you know I was I had the blessing to join you for your show and interview yeah. will come out I think in a few weeks and I just felt you know automatically when we started talking just a brotherhood with you because of our journey from being converts and and all the other things that uh, we were able to share there but Keith I mean I just want you to kind of start off today a little bit by telling us a little bit about yourself, as I mentioned, you know, you were a pastor in the Protestant world and yeah. I'm sure that's, that's, it was hard for me to switch just being a regular guy in the pew over to Catholicism. I imagine it's probably a pretty difficult process uh, coming from the guy leading the church. Yeah. You know, so I, I grew up in the church um, growing, not the Catholic church. Um, my dad's a pastor, so I'm a, I'm a PK, which means preacher's kid. Yeah. I always have to give that caveat to Catholics because that's not a thing in the Catholic Church, you know, at least it's not supposed to be. Um, so I grew up, my dad was a pastor. So for me, church was always part of the fabric of life. I mean, I never really remembered a time in my life when that wasn't part of what I did. But, you know, oftentimes in the in the Protestant faith or the tr Protestant traditions, however you want to describe it, there's a lot of emphasis put on the moment that you became a Christian, right? And when is that moment? when you accepted Jesus Christ as your yeah. personal Lord and Savior. So for me, that happened at a church camp when I was probably 11 years old. And a, a preacher was talking and he said, how many of you know tonight, if you were to die, where you would go? Would you go to heaven and where'd you go to hell? And of course, everyone is like, well, I'd go to heaven. And he sort of explains, well, the only reason why you can know that for, for sure is if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. It doesn't matter if you've been baptized. It doesn't matter if you grew up going to church. The only thing that matters is if you made that decision. And if you want to know right now, just come down forward and pray this little prayer. So I did that. And that was, I guess, the moment in my life when I, when I can say that was the first time I made a decision. Now, I hadn't been baptized as a baby. My parents waited to do that. So I was baptized later um, as a, I think I was 12, something like that. 
but that was it for me. You know, I was like, okay, I'm a Christian now. I follow Jesus. I want to love the Lord. And, and I grew up in that mindset, certainly not perfect, but trying to do the will of God. And eventually that led me into ministry. You know, I, I didn't plan on doing that, but that's what God had for me. And I became a youth pastor when I was like 20 years old in a Methodist church. And I stayed at that church until I, until uh, for 13 years. And that's where I really like cut my teeth in ministry and um, came into my own in terms of this feeling of calling, you know, because that's a big deal sure. to people is what are you called to do, right? And so I felt called into ministry. I didn't feel called to like go be a senior pastor. So I, you know, um, I stayed in my youth ministry role, but as I continued in that role, I was given more and more responsibilities. I ended up preaching in the, we call it the big church, you know, half the time, sure. um, doing a lot of things. And, and eventually that led to um, different roles in different churches where, you know, I, there were times where I was senior pastor in different churches, other times when I was like the associate. I've done a lot of things in churches, John, sure. um, kind of a jack of all trades. And for me, that was just life. You know, I had a family, I had three kids and a, and a beautiful wife, still do. And, and I was, you know, life was, was great. I was trying to follow Jesus and bring all these kids to the faith. And our little youth group started to grow, started with 12 kids. And after a couple of years, this thing exploded to where we had 300 kids coming every night in our, in our youth service, which was bigger wow. than the rest of the church. It was crazy. And, you know, I just kind of felt like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I remember um, never really thinking anything about Catholicism other than, that it wasn't something I was interested in. I didn't know any Catholics. I didn't know anybody who practiced their faith who was Catholic. I didn't hadn't really had any um, training in what that was all about. When I was in seminary, I you know, obviously we learned in church history. We learned about the popes and the councils and all of this stuff. But there was always this weird disconnect between all of that stuff and the actual Catholicism. So we we would learn about some of the church fathers and the councils, but. We never really like distinguish between, well, that's what the Catholics are and this is what we are, you know, until probably, I don't know, around the time of the Protestant Reformation, when you're studying that in history, then it's kind of like, okay, now here, here's where we come into, into the picture here. But it wasn't until I actually met a young man who was Catholic, who knew his faith, that I really started to open my mind to the Catholic Church and what that was all about. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I, I mean, like I said, I know how hard it can be to leave one's faith, yeah. especially when you're someone that's involved in in the ministry of that faith, you know? Yeah. And, and so I, I couldn't imagine the pressure you were under there. What did you, when you started, you know, talking with this friend, which, I mean, I don't know if you're going to share his name or not. I mean, you shared him with me, but sure, uh, yeah. he's an amazing Catholic. Yeah, but, his name's Devin Shad, by the way. Um, yeah, yeah gr great guy. Yeah, he is. He's written a number of books on St. Joseph. He's a phenomenal guy. What, what were the challenges you started to face? Was there ever a moment like where you started looking into some of this? I mean, you mentioned studying the, the Protestant Reformation and all these different things where you, you started to go, you know, this makes sense, but, but is there more? Or oh, oh, yeah. why is this here? Or what, I don't feel like I have the full answer, right, to this question. Were some of those things going on in your mind? Absolutely. So, you know, you know, a lot for a lot of Protestants that have grown up in Protestantism, this is important for Catholics to understand that most people who are Protestants, you know, didn't just wake up one day as a Catholic and say, I'm going to leave the Catholic Church and become a Protestant. 
a lot of us were born as Protestants. So when you're when you're born and raised Protestant, you don't have this understanding of what the Catholic Church really even is. Yeah. So for me, I didn't I didn't understand that the Catholic Church identified itself as the church that Jesus Christ started. I didn't think any church really did that. I thought that was just kind of something that people just assumed all Christians everywhere because a lot of times in Protestantism, you view the idea of what is the church as all believers everywhere. Um, so mm-hmm. when I first met this guy, I thought that like I, you know, had a pretty good handle on on what it meant to be a Christian and what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And and when I met this guy, I, I was immediately um, taken aback by his personal faith, but it, it, all of his Catholicism seemed to be like at odds with that. So I just would ask him, I'd talk to him, I'd say, you know, I don't get how you can be a Catholic and this fired up about Jesus because I didn't think the Catholics acted like that. I mean, I knew people who were Catholic, John, but none of them practiced their faith. They never talked about God. They never, they didn't, they didn't act like people who were devoted followers of Christ. They were just like, yeah, I'm Catholic or whatever, you know? It's more so, like something you fill out on a form instead of exactly, something you live in your life. Yeah. Exactly. So for me, that was the disconnect. So when I encountered this guy who had that powerful faith in Christ and had a story to tell about it, that was my first thing was, okay, I want to know how this works. And then I remember he started grilling me and giving me questions and challenging me. So we entered into this period of a relationship where I was trying to convert him and he was trying to convert me. <laughs> yeah. So I had all these walls built up and I started with the default. And a lot of Protestants do this. They have the default position that Protestantism is the default truth position. And the Catholic has to convince the Protestant why their view is you know correct or whatever mm-hmm. and what i was beginning to learn as i was studying through some of the resources he was giving me and some of the things we were talking about was that i had that backwards john that catholicism was the was the default position and it wasn't until much later in history that the things that a lot of protestants take for granted as being just normal christianity you know faith alone scripture alone all of the solas and and things like that those were the innovations so when I started to realize that, that began to challenge me. I think the biggest thing for me, though, was the canon of the scripture. Because yeah. I remember we were talking about it, and, and and I was like, yeah, you Catholics have extra books in your Bible and this and that. And we was like, no, no, no. So we had that conversation. I remember one day I sort of threw down with him, and I said, look, if you can show me in history any authoritative definitive list before the Council of Trent where the Catholic Church claimed that these books belong in the Bible, you know, that's really going to mean something to me. And he was just like, oh, yeah, boom, Council of Rome, 382, you know, and I'm looking at this going, whoa, okay, there's more going on here than I than I was aware of. So I started having all these things, um, realizations. And then, of course, we start talking about the Eucharist and the sacrament, especially the Eucharist, looking at what the church has always taught about this, the church fathers, the scriptures, even digging into those things. I began to really have to, to question my own um assumptions and presuppositions because what what was happening was i was starting to learn what the catholic church actually taught versus what i believed that taught and that's always the the an eye-opener for protestants when they haven't known that before it is it is i remember being baptist and and anytime i even thought of the word catholic uh what came to mind was what i'd heard from people's parents and other people around the church they worship statues they worship mary they're of the devil because they you know they have all these rituals all this stuff, you know, and it wasn't until I actually, you know, was with my wife and started going to church when we were dating. 
And I'm like, none of this is like that. You know, I still didn't understand the full truth of it, but we are raised to sort of have that, that predisposition, like you're saying to thinking the other one is wrong or something is, is not right. Let me ask you this. I mean, obviously, you know, you and Devin, I'd love to have heard some of those conversations when you guys were arguing your points. Those are always fun conversations. Was, with, was, with we friends. were toe to toe a lot of times, man. People thought we were going to fight. That's right. But it's all, you know, but I guess the thing is I want to ask is we can have all the head knowledge and people could tell us, you know, again and again, no, this is right. And here's where this is. And here's this book. And here's, you know, the years after Jesus, when this was decided or the church fathers, those things open the door, but at some point there has to be a moment where Christ starts to sort of turn your heart. Yeah, uh, where did that happen absolutely. for you? I, I read somewhere where that, like, where you had you were at a youth camp or something, yep. and they were giving communion. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I was I was having this sort of interior exploration of Catholicism. I, I, I didn't tell anybody about it really, yeah, because I was terrified of what this could mean for me. But I found I felt myself being drawn more towards the Catholic faith. Well, I was at this youth camp because that was always a big deal for us. And it was a Thursday night. And one of the, one of the friends of mine who was a pastor there was leading a worship service. And it came to the time of their do communion. And he kind of, as a lot of times would happen, sort of started riffing on the liturgy. You know what I mean? It's like, it's kind of like Jesus took bread and he took that bread and he said, this bread represents my body. And then it was sort of like a sermon that would go off of what he had said. Or, I mean, completely different. But yeah. when he when he made that statement, this bread represents my body, I just felt like a ton of spiritual bricks land on my heart. And the Lord was like, that's not what I said. And you know this, Keith, that th there's more here. Than what than what is what you're being thought or than what you have thought, and I remember I walked out of that room. I went outside, and I just lost it. And I remember I even called Devin on the phone. I said, "Devin, I, I'm in trouble, man." And he's like, "What's going on?" I said, "I think God's calling me to become Catholic mm -hmm. because I, you know I, I'm realizing the truth of the Eucharist, and I feel like God's is leading me in that direction." And I thought he was going to like rub it in my face. Oh, I knew it, you know, but he I wasn't won. like that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Cause that's how we were with each other, you know? And, and, yeah. and he was just like, Keith, you know, I'm just going to pray for you, whatever I can do to help you. And, you know, just the Lord's calling you home. And, and John, so that was that moment, you know, and I, I wish with all my heart that in that moment, I would have followed through with that. But the truth is, I mean, you mentioned earlier, what are the challenges I, I had so many challenges in front of me I, and I was way too immature in just about every way in my life to operate in obedience at that level. You know, I mean, we, we always like to think we're being super obedient to God, especially when we're in ministry, but we don't really find that out our own level of obedience until we're, we're forced to make a sacrifice for it. Yeah. And when I looked at what it would mean for me <clears throat> to leave my role in this church to become Catholic. Now, remember at the time, I have three little kids at home. I have a wife who knows nothing about what I'm dealing with because I didn't tell her because I didn't want to freak her out. I have this incredible youth ministry that has exploded, that I've got, you know, all this stuff. And and in my own mind, I couldn't I couldn't reconcile, well, how would God why would God want me to leave this ministry when I'm doing his will? I just it just I just couldn't compute it. And it was too scary. So I just said, Okay, I'm just putting it out of my mind. And I just turned my back on it for for several years before I've ever thought of it again. And then it was not a good move. I can tell you that. Well, what do you, I mean, isn't it funny how like this, I, I think about this a lot in my own life and in just in life in general is how the devil can use good things to keep you from doing better things. 
right? Like, well, oh. you know, he's using the good things you were doing. You were serving the Lord in that faith, but yet your heart was looking for more and the Lord was calling you to more. But the devil uses those good things to, well, what about those kids, right? They need you and you've done so much and are you just going to abandon them? And, and what about your family? How are you going to feed them? How are you going to, like he uses all of those things to keep you from taking the steps in the direction that God wants you to sometime. And I think we forget about that sometimes as Christians is, is that all good, like good things can be used to keep you further, you know, from, from growing in the steps and the relationship with the Lord that you need to go into too, because those are valid concerns. Absolutely. And it's so funny that you just mentioned that, you know, because part of this journey, I got invited to go on a pilgrimage with, with Devin and, and a bunch of other Catholics over to Mejigoria and over to Rome. Okay. And I knew nothing about any of that stuff. I just, okay, this guy was going to pay for my trip. So I went on this trip and I didn't know anything about marrying aberrations. I didn't know anything about any of that stuff or anything. And I remember I was, I had taken a, a, a couple hours to just be by myself. I went on this hike and I was sitting there on this, on this rock. And this guy comes up to me and he sits down next to me and we start talking and he was from South Africa and he was sharing with me what he was doing there. And he asked me what I was doing there. I told him, you know, who I was and what was going on. And I told him, I confided in this stranger. I said, you know, I'm really feeling the spirit of God and all of this and the, and the pull towards this, but you know, but I have this ministry, I have this, all this. And he literally said to me, he said, sometimes God calls you to let go of the good so that he can give you something great. Oh, wow. And I've always remembered that years later, when I was again in that situation, I remembered those words from that guy. And you're right. Cause a lot of times, it's good things in our lives that we don't look at because we always want to go, well, yeah, I want to avoid the sinful things, right? Sure. So it's easy to spot the, the big sins. It's a lot harder to spot the more nuanced sins like who do you love Who do you love more, God or your kids or God yeah. or your security? Because that's like unthinkable to us, especially as men that are called to provide security and provision mm-hmm. for our families, you know, to sacrifice those things. For, for ministry, oftentimes it doesn't quite feel like it should, right? But nevertheless, that's what it means to step out and follow Christ. Amen. It is hard. I, I mean, I can I can agree with that in my own journey about saying, "Well, God, sure. I, I'm a father. I'm a husband. I got you know clothes to buy for kids and schools to pay for and food to put on the table." And and he he's constantly inviting us to say. No, I can do that. You just need to do what I'm saying, right? You need to follow what I'm asking you to do. And it can be really hard. Um, I want to ask you, I want to jump back for a second. You were talking about uh, the Eucharist and that conversion moment there or that start of the conversion. I always wonder this whenever I talk to someone, especially it's been a Protestant minister before. Did you talk much about John chapter 6? When you were in ministry, did you preach on that a lot? Because as I look back in my Baptist church, like, I don't remember ever, like, it was almost like they skipped to chapter seven, you know, and they just kind of yeah. went over it. I don't remember ever hearing a lot of teaching on that in itself. So I was just curious, like, what how you handled that. Well, I did teach verse by verse through John a couple times. Um, but I, you know, the Protestant understanding of John 6 typically is to spiritualize it because I think it's verse 53 mm-hmm. where Jesus says, the words I spoke to you are, are spirit and life. I could have that verse number wrong. Um, but that's what you do. So, because remember, you're starting with mm-hmm. the understanding in the Protestant world that this is a spiritual thing. This is not the the real presence of Christ. Sure. So, when you already have that in your mind, and that's the lens with which you're looking through the text, 
and you've always been taught that that's what it means. And then you have this one verse where Jesus says this thing that can be sort of interpreted that would fit along with that. You just kind of go there, but you, you yeah. don't really like hone in on what's happening here from the standpoint of the words Jesus is choosing to use and the, the gravity of his statement. And you certainly don't really know what to do with why all the disciples left him because of that. You know, sure. you just kind of go to the generic stuff like, yeah, see, following Jesus is hard. Even people left Jesus. So yeah. I did teach about it, but it was more from a, you know, I already had the conclusion before I started teaching through. I wasn't like searching through the scriptures to get the conclusion. Gotcha. I already felt like I had that first. Gotcha. So you were in Medjugorje. You went there in Rome and all these pilgrimages. Was it then that you started coming to a greater understanding of the faith and a, and a desire to join it? Or was there something else that happened after that? Oh, it was, it was much later. So um, what happened in Medjugorje was, and Rome was this, I learned a couple of things. First of all, that was the first time I ever saw Catholics worship Jesus through Mary. I'd never understood that before, but, and I saw how the, how passionate people were to pray over there. And then when we were in Rome, I remember being blown away by like, this is where I, I grasped the historicity of the church. Cause if you go to St. John ladder and that's the church where, where they have all of the pictures of the popes that go around the top of the church all the way back to mm -hmm. Peter. I remember looking at that going, could that really be true? You know, wow. could this really be true? Could, could, cause the Catholic church really be the church that, it, that it claims to be, you know? Um, but I think it was actually after that, where I had that, 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 that experience with the Eucharistic camp. So for me, what happened was it would have, it would be, 10-ish or a dozen years later, um, I was serving in the in the United Methodist Church, and our denomination was starting to go, you know, completely off the rails, doctrinally. Mm. And I was really struggling with that, John, because I've always considered myself to be like a Bible guy. You know, I want to yeah. I want to teach the scripture. I want to follow the, the scriptures. And I never really had time for, you know, liberal Protestants that wanted to just take it and turn it into a social gospel and do all this kind of stuff and and change everything. So I found myself getting in these discussions and arguments with some of my more liberal friends that wanted to, um, you know, veer off into left field with these things. And I learned that, like. I couldn't just argue from scripture with them because their answers would be like, well, that's just your interpretation of what the yeah. Bible says. So then I would be like, okay, well, if I can't argue from the scripture because they're just going to talk about interpretation, then I started going the next step to say, well, this is what the church has always taught about these particular issues that our denomination was falling apart over. And then the answer would be, well, Keith, the church has been wrong before and it's wrong now and we're here to fix it. And that just didn't sound right to me. Like that, like I'm like, wait a second. You mean to tell me that for two thousand years the church has, you know, has taught X, and and now here in 2016 or whatever it was back then, we're gonna fix it with things that are against the scripture. And I remember I had this one friend. I was, so I was talking about the authority of the church, the tradition of the church, and I had this one friend, and she said to me, Keith, if you believe all this church tradition and church authority stuff, then why aren't you a Catholic? And she didn't wow. know anything about my previous, you know. Um, explorations of Catholicism. And when she said that to me, I was just like, oh man, you know, so I started to pray about that and started to think about that a little bit more. Right around that time, um, one of my friends, the one who took me on that first pilgrimage, he took my wife and I to go see this movie about Mejigoria called Apparition Hill that had just come out in the theaters. Yeah, that's a great I movie. Thought about, 
Oh man, it was incredible. And I, and I hadn't thought about that forever. So we went to go see this movie right around all this time of the turmoils happening. And I saw that and I just was like, wow, I just remembered all of these times where I felt like the Lord reaching out to me. So then at that point in time, I just started, I, I kind of like took that, that hat box down and opened it up again and started going through all of my previous um, wonderings about Catholicism. And then it was just like a rocket ship just led me. I started going to daily mass. And one of the things that happened to me at daily mass that blew my mind was, you know, cause I'm, I'm in this turmoil over a, a, a feeling that like scripture isn't important, you know, in our, in our church anymore. And I'm at daily mass and they're doing the processional and the deacon has the gospel, you know, and he's, and he's showing the gospel, he's holding the gospel. And I remember like for me seeing that, and it was like, the Lord was just saying, this is important. This is our book, you know? And there was just something about it that just felt safe and home and right to me. I started meeting with the, with the local priest in town at this church. And, you know, at, at one point in time, I was, I was so like convinced that, okay, I think this is what I need to really, really do. But then once again, you know, John, I was, I was faced with that same issue. Can I do it? And I still had the three kids, still have the wife. Now I've got 20 years into this ministry thing, 22 years into this thing. You know, I was, well, how the heck old was I? 43, 44 years old at the time. Like, what am I going to do, you know, with the rest of my life? This is all I've ever done. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen, but, you know, God really reached out to me in a pretty dramatic way and, and, and called me out on it. And I had to make a choice again. At that point, did your wife have any clue that you were going to meet with a yes. priest, that you were doing any of that? or? Yes. Yeah, so... Life lesson for all you fellas out there, okay, especially you younger married guys. This is so funny because I talk to young married guys about this kind of stuff now who are going through the same thing, and they don't want to talk to their wives about it, like these these young Protestant minister guys who are just where I was, and they're like, Heath, I'm really thinking about the Catholic Church, but I can't tell anybody. I have, and I, I always say, Did you, have you told your wife? No, she'd freak out. I'm like, tell her. Yeah. You need to tell her. So I had learned a lot of things in life about that by this time. So, yes, she knew that I was in the midst of this. I had been very open with my friends, with my family, with people, even my senior pastor at my church, I told him I was thinking about doing this. Um, so people kind of knew that that was out there for me, but the question was, would I actually go through with it? Yeah. Well, that's one lady in your life. And there's another important lady in your life. I know is just Mary. Yeah. What did she have to do with all this? So you mentioned the oh, pilgrimages man. and I think yeah. I remember reading something where you were getting ready to do a sermon yeah, on, I think it was during Advent, where we're about to enter into now. Tell me yeah, a little was, bit about that. So it was Advent 2016, okay? And me and me and uh, my senior pastor at this church, we team taught. So it was every other week okay. we would teach. And sometimes it would be like I would teach for three weeks, he would teach for three weeks. And so we were writing this sermon series in Advent, and the sermon series was called Who Gets the News? And it, mm -hmm. and the, basically the idea was we're going to go back and look in, this, in the Gospels at when people found out that Jesus was coming. And what, what did that look like? So week one was um, sort of about that it was Zechariah when the angel Gabriel appeared to him to tell him that he was going to have uh, a son, John the Baptist. And I preached that sermon. And then week two was going to be the Virgin Mary. And I was going to preach that one, too. And I remember I was like in my office writing this sermon about the Annunciation. Of course, we didn't call it that at the time. Sure. We just like called it Luke chapter one. But um I'm in my office writing this sermon, 
And I started to get overwhelmed with this incredible emotion, John. It was so weird for me, you know, like I would, when I would think about her, when I would read about her, I write about her, you know, the angel Gabriel ministering to her and bringing to her this incredible message, but first giving her this unbelievable greeting on the heels of when he met Zechariah, who was this, you know, according to the gospel, a, a blameless priest, you know, he's a righteous yeah. guy. And Gabriel doesn't greet him in any special way. And yet when he comes to this, this unassuming young, young woman, hail full of grace. So I did, I did everything, you know, I studied the text. I studied the Greek. I studied the church fathers. I studied, and I came up with this crazy theory. Okay. And you gotta remember, I'm not an expert on, I haven't read Tim Staples book, Scott Hans, but I haven't done any of that at this point in time. I came up with this crazy theory that there were church fathers that thought Mary was the new Ark of the Covenant mm. and the new Eve. And I'm, I'm like discovering this stuff in the, you know, I mean, I'm sure I'd heard it somewhere along the line yeah, sure. from listening research, to these guys, yeah. but, it, but that's what I preached about. So I got wow. up on Sunday morning and, and I'm having this like emotional meltdown because I'm feeling her with me in my office. It was just weird. Yeah. And I, and I get up and preach the sermon to this Methodist congregation on everything I just told you. You know, she's the new Eve, the new Ark of the Covenant, the woman of, of Revelation 12, of, you know, the woman, um, you know, of Genesis 3.15, all of these How things. That that received? Just, yeah. Oh, you yeah. know what? I'll tell you something, John. They loved it. Wow. They, they heard that. And people were weeping in the congregation. There was a young man who came forward and he just came forward at the end of the service and just hit his, hit, hit his knees and just started crying and was praying. And I had people come up to me and go, Keith, we have never, ever heard any of those things before ever, you know, during Advent. Yeah. We had no idea. And it just goes to show you guys, it's not like, because I think sometimes Catholics have this idea that all Protestants willfully hate Catholics and everything that they believe. Oftentimes, they just don't know what it is. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They're, it's not like they're rejecting, like they know the truth and they're rejecting the truth. They just don't know it. And yeah. they assume based on what other people have told them, just like human beings do about everything, right? And and so exactly. that, that's a great point. I mean, because I remember thinking that. Why don't they believe this? Well, they've never heard it, right? Like it's not like they read it and chose not to. You can, you can go ask probably, I mean, and I, and I know that there's lots of different types of people, and I know there's plenty of anti-Catholic Protestants that do know this stuff and they've studied sure. that they've made that their deal. But I would say if you go ask 50 random Protestants and you just said, hey, can you tell me about the Catholic doctrine of the Immaculate Conception? I would say 49, if not all 50, are going to think that that's about Jesus. Yeah. You know, Amen. they don't understand that's about Mary and they don't understand what, what the church is doing with these things. Right. So when I preached that and I didn't preach it and say, hey, this is Catholic doctrine. I just preached this. This is what the Bible says, and this is what the earliest Christians believed. Because I, I had church father quotes from from different guys about about calling her this, and they were just like, "Whoa, we had no idea." So wow. in that moment, you know, I had this amazing experience, and I told one of my Catholic buddies who came to visit. I told him what had happened. I said, "I don't know what happened." I'm just in my office writing this sermon. I just start crying, and then he starts crying, and we're just like, "What is going on?" I was so turned inside out, John, upside down. I didn't know what to do, but you better believe she was reaching out to me in that moment. Oh, I bet. Well, okay. So that happened. So when yeah. did the, when did the moment when you're like, all right, I'm doing it. How did, what oh, happened? Man. How did that come about? Cause he uh, Crazy got a story. long journey, journey, a journey, but when, you know, when did the hammer drop? Well, the hammer dropped. I can't remember the exact date, but I remember exactly what happened on that day. Um, and leading up to this point, you know, I've been talking to my dad. Remember my dad's a pastor. I've been telling him, I think I'm being called to the Catholic Church. And he's just like, Keith, you can't just quit your job and become Catholic. There's got to be a way. 
you know, he didn't want to argue with me about theology, but he was just like, what about your life? You know, yeah, there's got to be a way. And I woke up one morning, I think it was a Tuesday morning, and I just, I was praying and I felt like the Lord was saying to me, Keith, you need to get a hold of Steve Ray, you know, the, the oh, wow. Catholic convert guy. Okay. And yeah. I have no idea who Steve Ray is. I mean, I'd watched a couple of his videos because <laughs> at this time I'm digesting all the stuff, you know, I'm watching Catholic answers. I'm reading books. I'm, I'm checking things out. And, but Steve was just one of the guys that I'd heard, you know, but I don't know him personally, no connection to him at all, but I had this weird sense, get a hold of Steve Ray. I'm like, how am I going to do that? So that, that day I'm scheduled to have dinner with my, with my Catholic buddy, Greg, the one who took me to Mejigoria with Devin and who had really been very helpful to me in a lot of this stuff. So I, I show up to meet him for dinner at like four 30 or whatever at this restaurant. And he walks in, sits down before he even says anything. His wife sends him a text message and the text message says, Hey, Greg, tell Keith, Steve Ray is giving a talk in our town tonight. You guys should go. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was like, it was like a town, like 45 minutes away from where we were. I was busy every night that week, except for that night. And I was just like, Greg, we have to go. And I told him what had happened. I said, I woke up this morning. I just felt like I got to go see Steve Ray. And now you're telling me he's going to be in town. So we drove to the church. I walk into this, to this Catholic church and they're having mass and I'm just ripped up, man. I'm just, I mean, you got to understand I'm, I'm like, oh, God is, is grilling me. I go forward to get my blessing because I can't receive the Eucharist. I step to the side and I just hit the ground. I didn't go back to my seat. I just hit the ground right there at the kneeler. And I'm looking up at the crucifix. And I said this prayer. I said, Jesus, if you want me to become Catholic, I will do it. But you've got to make a way. You know, all that stuff my dad had been saying, rolling in my mind, you know, my own fears. You've got to make a way. And while I'm praying this, people are receiving the Eucharist. And, and, no joke, man. From the crucifix, Jesus speaks to me and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You don't need me to make a way. You just need me. Amen. And in that moment, John, that's when I knew that the Eucharist was real because I knew that meant him in the Eucharist. Like, I just need him. I need to stop trying to figure everything out. I need to stop having all the answers. I need to not have the plan. I just need Jesus because if we have Jesus, then the plan comes later. But if we, if we wait for the plan first, then we're going to miss out on what Jesus had. So I went back to my seat. Steve gets up, gives this incredible talk about how the early church were willing to be martyred rather than pinch incense to, to Caesar. And I'm sitting there going, and I'm afraid to, to quit a job, <laughs> yeah. you know? So we got done. I'm, I'm, and I'm filleted, man. The Holy Spirit is just grilling me. And I'm like, okay, God, you win. So we get done with the talk. My buddy Greg grabs me. He says, we got to go talk to Steve. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. He pulls me up there. He's like, you know, elbowing these little old ladies, showing him pictures of their <laughs> grandkids on the phone. It's like, Steve. And he goes, he says, this is my friend, Keith Nestor. He's a pastor and he's thinking about becoming Catholic. Would you please give him your cell phone number? <laughs> wow. Steve's like, what? So Steve grabs one of his books, you know, upon this rock or yeah, yeah. It was, it was that one. And he writes his number in it and he gives it to me. And he says, brother, I know where you are. He goes, you either need to become Catholic right now or turn around and run the other way and never look back because you're going to go nuts. Wow. So I, on the way home that night, I told my buddy Greg, I said, that's it. I'm doing this. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. I knew that I had to do it. And when I, got, when I got home, I told my wife, I said, this is it. We're doing this. And um, the next day I went in and, and basically said, this is what I have to do, you know. And... Oh, 
God bless Steve for, for doing that. You know, a lot of that's that was really kind of him. I mean, he gives his number out to you. And Steve's a great guy. I've worked with him on a lot of stuff oh, yeah. over the last couple of years, and he's been a gift to the church for sure. Well, let me ask you this. So so you go through it, you're you're gonna do it. Yeah. You go home, you have a conversation with your wife. Like what what comes next? Like how does this how's the rest of the process play out? So first of all, my wife is a revert now. She did not want to go, join back to the Catholic Church. Okay. When I met her, she was sort of oh, Catholic. She was Catholic. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, she grew up in the Catholic Church, but never went, but she went to Catholic okay. school. She's from Philadelphia where everyone's just sort of Catholic by name, but sure. didn't practice. So when I told her, I'm like, hey, I want to become, you know, gotta become Catholic. I'm doing this. Her her response was not, all right, let's do this. You know, her response was, well, I'm not really uh excited about that, but but I've seen you struggle with this. I've seen you wrestle with this. And I trust that you're doing what you think the Lord's calling us to do. So if that's what God's calling us to do, then I'm with you. Um, awesome. So that was awesome. So I went in, I tell my my senior pastor, I said, this is it, I'm doing this. And he immediately calls a meeting with our kind of our committee that's in charge of our staff. And we were now right now is crazy because at that same exact time, we are getting ready to break ground on a $10 million facility. For our oh, for our wow. church that we'd been working on for years, I'd been I'd been a part of that. I'd help design the thing. I'd help raise the money for it. Like it like our church was blowing up. So he's like, "What are you talking about? You're my right hand guy. You can't leave. You know this is insane." Um, so I had this meeting with our with our board or whatever, and I said, "Look, this is what I have to do. I'm, I'm going to become Catholic. That means you probably don't want me to work here anymore." You know, <laughs> and and. Uh, <laughs> It's, you know, it's interesting. I'll tell you something that's interesting, John. I haven't really told too many people this. Um, sure. My priest actually told me, he said, Keith, you don't necessarily have to quit your job in that church. He said, you become Catholic. He said, you have to go to mass and do all the Catholic things. But he goes, if, if you can, can teach and preach in that church and not contradict your Catholic faith and, and do all that, he's like, who's to say that God couldn't use that in some way? You know, you can you can wow. be an employee of that church, and I was like, I don't think that's going to work. Yeah, but, um, I don't see how that happens, but sure. <laughs> well, I think his point was, yeah, his point was, I I think he understood that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, but he he just wanted me to know, like, he wasn't trying to get me to quit. You know, so sure. anyway, I told him, I said, well, I, you know, that's not going to be a thing. Um, so I basically resigned and sent a letter out to the church. The first one I wrote was rejected <laughs> because it was really harsh. Um, but so they kind of worked with me on making something that didn't sound so negative towards uh, towards the church, towards the denomination. I loved my local mm -hmm. church. You know, my local church was amazing. But our denomination, like I said, was going off the rails. And I felt really, really sad about that and betrayed by that. And I remember, like, my last Sunday at that church was the day we broke ground for that new building. And... Um, you know, it was hard to leave, but I knew that that's what I had to do. So I met with our priest. I didn't do RCIA. Um, him and I met one-on-one -on -one for about four or five months. Mm -hmm. And I had already quit my job at this point in time. I was, um, you know, working in my wife's photography business. Not sure what we were going to do. I mean, we lost obviously like 75% of our income when I, yeah. when, I, when I quit the church. And we weren't sure how we were going to live, you know, and I was willing to do whatever I needed to do. But I was, I was, I was happy, you know, and, um, it was time for me to join the church. And I came in on October 8th, 2017. And you know, what's crazy, John, when I went up to receive the Eucharist for the first time after I did my confirmation, when it was time to, to pass the peace or whatever, you know, um, 
share the sign of peace. You know, the, you know that whole yes, deal. Sir. We don't do it anymore. But, um, I felt a tap on my shoulder. I turned around. Steve Ray. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was <laughs> he at our parish. He was at our par- Not because of that, but he was oh. at our parish because he was giving a talk in town or something like that. I didn't know he was going to be there. And he just happened to be at that mass. I don't even wow. know if he remembered me, but he was like, welcome home. And I'm like, oh, dude. Now, since then, I've talked to him. I've interviewed him a couple of times on my podcast. And so, you know, I've relayed that story to him, but it's just how God brings things full circle. So I was, I was in the church, <clears throat> fired up. My priest told me, you know, he said, Keith, I'm just going to leave you alone for a year in terms of like ministry stuff. He's like, a lot of people are going to try to get you to do stuff. He said, just, just take a break, man. He's like, you have been on this long journey. Don't, don't feel like you're being thrown into some sort of role as a, what, and I didn't feel like I wanted to do that anyway, John. I was like, sure. I had never considered myself an authority in anything other than just my own experience. So I wasn't they, like, you know, they could have thrown you into like youth ministry or stuff like oh, that yeah. because of the history, what you've been good at. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually that would start to happen. But, but, um, my priest was amazing. He, he was, he just really protected me from, from a lot of things because he had seen what I had gone through and I really felt like he shielded me from a lot of stuff. Well, then a little over a year after that, I remember he, he was like, okay, it's time, you know, it's time for you to, to, um, you know, share your story. And I, by this time I was working like two jobs and, um, I was asked to kind of share my conversion story or whatever at our parish. And I was traveling around the state of Iowa, meeting with photographers, doing this consulting thing I was doing. And I had to show up to give this talk at my, at my church. I didn't really know anybody at the church. Like I hadn't met a ton of people because I pretty much just like kept to myself. You know, I went to church, I had a little men's group that I'm a part of, but beyond that, like I wasn't a well-known person in the church because I didn't want to be, you know, I wanted just to kind of be the anonymous guy because I didn't know anything. You know, I'm trying to learn. I want to experience things. I don't want to be, you know, some, some person that people like, oh, hey, there's that guy who was the Methodist pastor. I didn't want that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I show up to give this talk. I expected there might be, you know, maybe like 50 people there. There was there was probably like four or 500 people there. It was crazy. Wow. The church was was full. And I gave this talk and um, the, it was recorded. And the guy sent me the file and I just put it on YouTube randomly one day. And that talk has really kind of taken off from there, which has led to a lot of other stuff I'm doing now. Yeah, I mean, you got the YouTube channel, you got the podcast. I mean, you got the book, yeah. and I want to talk about that for a minute. Oh yeah, you know, the sure. Con- the, the, the Convert's Guide to Roman Catholicism, your first year in the church. Yeah. So, what made you write that? I mean, it, when I look at that title, it makes me think either he saw something that was lacking, maybe they str- there was a struggle there. I know when I came into the church from a Protestant background, you know, after I had a beautiful, uh, I didn't have the best RCIA. Um, yeah. We it was actually kind of mediocre, uh, and then we we came in had the beautiful vigil, but then like the next Sunday I was ready to walk into church and like get invited to the after church lunch with the fried chicken and all the other stuff, and there was none of that. <laughs> it was like, just like hey, I show up, I show up, nobody talks to me, and then after mass I'm standing around, no one talks to me afterwards, and I go <laughs> home and I'm like, this is depressing. Like no one wants to be friends with anybody, and so how is that? Some of that is that what went oh, on, dude. or what what led you to that? So, yeah, I mean, I'll preface this by saying I never expected to ever write a book. I was never going to do that. I'm sure. not that guy. People would say things to me like, oh, you're going to be like Scott Hahn. I was like, no, I'm nothing like Scott Hahn. He's like, I don't have a fraction of the, of the you know, <laughs> mind that he has, you know. Sure. Because um, he was a big influence on me, you know. His, his conversion story was like, that was the thing that I 
watched and was like, oh man, maybe I'm not right about some of this stuff. Anyway, people would say stuff like that. So I never thought I would do it. Well, it just so happens that we got invited to go back to Mejigoria a year after I came into the church. And so I went back as a Catholic. This time I had my wife with me and we had an incredible experience over there. Um, now, remember, I'm working regular jobs at this point in time and I'm fine. Like I never had a desire to do ministry stuff again. Well, while we're at that on that trip, my wife has this amazing, like mystical supernatural experience in confession over there the night before we left. It was like, I mean, the kind of stuff that you hear about, like where a priest can read your soul. And my wife has her own journey. She's her testimonies on my YouTube channel. It, it's better than mine. And <laughs> she had this incredible experience that where she went literally from, all right, I'm just kind of doing this because my husband's making me, which I really wasn't making her, but you know what I mean? Sure. To like <clears throat> all of a sudden she like was face to face with the reality of, of, of her faith. And it was incredible. So the next morning we are headed back to leave Mejigoria. We're on our way to split Croatia. We're on the bus and at like five twenty, everybody like stops to pray. Um, yeah, I can't remember if we were praying the rosary, the chapel, divine mercy, something. And as we're praying, I just felt this surge of energy. And there was just like this download right into my brain, kind of like in the matrix when he like, he goes, I know Kung Fu, you know, like that is what, what happened. And I pulled my phone out and I start writing on my phone and my, my wife's like, what are you doing? We're praying. And I showed her the, the notes on my phone. I still have it in my phone. I've saved it all this time. And it just says the conference guide to Roman Catholicism, you know, your first year. In the, I said, this is the book I have to write. It was my one year anniversary of being in the church was the day we arrived there. Wow. And as I was leaving, I'm like, I have to write this book because we need a book for people, not not like a, an apologetics theological manifesto. We already have those, John. Sure. We need yeah. a book that helps people who are coming into the faith, who are already know that it's true, but what's it feel like to be Catholic? How is how do you like make that cultural transition from Protestantism to Catholicism. What are the things they don't teach you about in RCIA? What are the things that you don't learn about when you watch, you know, the videos and read the books and all of the apologetic stuff, things like, for example, how do you find a local church? You know, we all know what it's like to shop for churches as Protestants. What's it like as a Catholic? Cause it's different. You know, how do you know which things you should start doing? I tell you what, for me, when I became a Catholic, it was like every other day somebody was handing me some new thing, some new sure, rosary, yeah. scapular, metal, this or that. And 145 day novena. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, okay, I'll do that. Like, that's the one, right? And then there's like yeah. somebody else going, oh, well, didn't you know that there's a this of that of whatever? And and I remember just being so overwhelmed by all of oh, that yeah. stuff. So I, I So my book is about, okay, first of all, here's how you get through mass because I didn't understand, like I needed to learn how to do that when I became a Catholic. And I, so I wanted to, to explain to people why the things in the mass happen the way they do, but what does it feel like? Which prayer should you start with? What devotion should you begin? Which books should you read in the first year? Everybody's always handing you books, right? Sure. Um, but which, what are, what are some books that you really should look at in your first year? And, I, and I'm careful to talk about it like that because I, I never wanted to sound like this is everything you're going to need to know about Catholicism. No, but if you try to take on everything, in your first year, which a lot of converts do because they're so excited. They want, oh, give me all of the things. You're going to get burned out and you're not going to know what to do and you're going to wind up doing nothing. 
Yeah. I mean, and, you pick up the Summa or Confessions and start with that. You're going to be going, oh, my gosh. Like, what? The, you know? Yeah. Versus yeah, just, exactly. I, mean, that, I wish there had been something like this when I came in because that's how I was. I started, people were giving sure. me books that were like all of the harder things. It wasn't until a priest gave me Rome Sweet Home, mm -hmm. um, you know, Into His Likeness by Ed, Dr. Cherie. A lot of books like that that started opening up my key, I think the keys to following Christ, uh, which was Peter. It was by Dr. Tim Gray. Books like that that were a lot easier to digest than some of the things like you're saying when when all of a sudden everybody's telling you you got to wear a scapular and you got to wear this metal and you need this metal, you need this in your pocket and you need this rosary and you don't only need that in the rosary, you need this rosary and then you need to be praying this novena. And it is, it's just like, yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, you know, and especially when you come from the background of like relationship with Jesus, things like that are the most important thing to now all of a sudden there's just all this stuff. It's like somebody opening up Fort Knox and you're just going, where do I start? You Not know? to and mention. So, yeah. Not to mention the issue of how do you tell your friends and family what you've done? Like that's yeah. like, I think like the second chapter of my book is called, I think it's the second, maybe it's the third, how to not have a holy war, you know? And I call wow. it coming out as a Catholic. How do you do that? Because a lot of converts will tell you that that's something they wish they had a do over with when mm -hmm. it comes to that. Because, you know, when people get so excited about this conversion, oftentimes they can, they can, come across to people who aren't where they are as overbearing and, um, you know, sometimes even kind of rude and, 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 and really can do some damage. And I mean, I, I remember hearing Dr. Hahn, as a matter of fact, saying, boy, I made a lot of mistakes. And I asked him one day, what's something that you wish you would have done differently? And he just said, I wish I wouldn't have been so overbearing to my wife, you know, and when I became Catholic. So I have a chapter about that. Like what, what should you do? Kind of the framework I work with, John, in this book is whatever the chapter is, what you need to do, what you need to not do, and what you need to know, you know? Wow. So um, when it comes to doing that, you know, what do you need to do? What do you need to not do? What do you need to know? What do you need to not know? Or do, <laughs> not do, and know. That's, that's, that's what I'm right. Saying. That's right. It's in the book. Just check out the book. Yeah. It'll be right there. The <laughs> well, that, so, yeah, that's, me... so that's where that book came from. I self-published it. I didn't work, like, I never, I didn't, I didn't set out to go, oh, all right, how do I write a Catholic bestseller or anything like that, which I certainly haven't done. But I just published it myself on Amazon and, you know, bought a few copies for myself so that if I could give them out to people or whatever like that. And then it's become like, you know, a book that's been really helpful to a lot of people. So I'm, I'm humbled by that and uh, extremely grateful for when I hear from people and I, and I hear from people all the time who are just like, hey, this book really helped me. Um, it's been it's been a great resource for me, you know, so that's that's just I'm humbled and honored by that. Well, man, it sounds like God has just done amazing things in your life. I mean, when I, when you've been through a conversion, you can, you can, when somebody's telling theirs, you can hear those key moments and you really start oh, sure. to, yeah, like I remember that. And those crazy things happen, like, like with Steve Ray showing up a couple of times yeah. on the journey, those things happen. And that's, that's how for anybody listening, like if you're on this journey and you're wondering if you're right or not, like keep your eyes open for those things. Cause the Lord works in those small nuances and in those small things that, that just, don't seem like they could happen unless there was a purpose to them, you know? So follow in those footsteps and, and, and really pay attention to those things around you. But Keith, like, I appreciate you sharing all this and just praise God for your conversion and for the many people that are coming to know the truth through you and, and for your book and for all the stuff you're doing, where, where can people find more? Well, first of all, where can they get the book and then yeah. where can they find out more about you and what you're doing? So the ministry that, that we've started is called down to earth. And, that's based on 
um, a, a chapter, uh, chapter six in John's gospel, where Jesus says, for I came down from heaven to earth, not to do the will or to do the will of him who sent me. So it's like an incarnational thing, but I also, it's sort of a double play because people say, Oh, Keith, the way you speak, it's so down to earth. Down you know, earth, I'm not yeah. a heady theological guy. I mean, I can talk like that st- about that stuff, but I like to keep things practical. So our ministry is called down to earth. And if you go to down to earth ministry.org and the two is the number two, you can find mm-hmm. stuff. But if you just go on YouTube, type in Keith Nestor, you'll find me. That's where I'm most active. So um, if, you, if you find my YouTube channel, that's where I'm at. But I got, you know, Instagram. I'm on there as Keith Nestor Catholic on Facebook, Keith Nestor Catholic speaker. So um, just pretty much wherever you wherever you go, you'll find me if you if you if you search. And uh, Amazon for the book, your Am- website, all that. Yeah. Amazon.com. The book's on Amazon. It's also on my website, too. You can get it there as well. Well, I appreciate it, Keith. You've been so fun to interview, and I feel just like we got a common bond, man. We both like to just sure. tell it like it is, and and, just, and to be practical. And I think that's really what a lot of people need. You know, they want people to say, "Just make it easier for me." I, I don't, I don't have that, you know, high theological mind or or the desire for that right now. There's got to be that entrance into that, and all that stuff comes later. And so, thank you for playing a part in that because so many people sometimes it seems like want to kind of jump right into teaching all of that when, when we need to help build that bridge for the people that are coming over and just need to put that toe in the water first. So thank oh, you for all you do there. Uh, thank guys, you. If, yeah, you no, as well. it's, it's a pleasure, my brother. Guys, if you've enjoyed this or ladies, um, we are going to do an extra interview here in a minute. If you don't know, if, you know, for those of you who aren't members of the just a guy in the pew community, we always as a perk for, for the people that support us, that donate and that, that help us do all the things that we do, like put out the narrow road and, and, you know, get all the stuff we need to run the ministry. That's all funded by our members and by our community and by generous donations. So we like to give back. So Keith and I are about to go and do another 10, 15 minute interview. We're really going to break down like just some of the steps that he talks about in that book for, for new converts. So if you're curious about that, you can go to just a guy in the pew.com, go to join community, sign up, and you'll be able to find this interview and all the other extra interviews we've done there. Plus all the narrow road resources and everything else that you get when you're a community member. So thank you all for listening to this interview for watching and Keith, thank you so much for first of all, being my friend and then coming Amen. on here and, and spending time with us, brother. I really God appreciate bless you, it. My friend. Thank you for you having too. me, John. It's a pleasure. All right. God bless.